Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reformed, Puritan literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, g'day and welcome to another episode of the Reformers Bookcast, a podcast hosted by Reformers Bookshop. My name is Tom Eglinton and today we um, are not joined by a guest so much, but Cassie's with us. Cassie's one of our team members. Thanks for joining us, Cassie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, you you have hosted these podcasts in the past, so people may know you. Yes, I'm in the guest chair now, so it's different. <laughs> no, I don't see it as a guest chair. We're just, we're just going to chat today. Yep. Um, and what we're going to chat about is the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and if you if you can see, we've got like a hundred versions in front of us here because that's how many there are. Yeah. Um, but before we get there, I thought it was interesting as I was thinking about the Pilgrim's Progress, this classic um, tale that's been in print for hundreds of years. Um, I don't know how many copies have sold, probably lots. Um, but it's a story, it's a narrative. And I was just thinking about the the power of story um, and you know we set we sell a lot of uh, Christian books that are factual you know they tell you about how to fix a problem or what the Bible says about something um, but we do sell other books that are stories and I know you like stories yes what, what do you like about stories I like that I mean I think we need God's instruction as instruction um, and in a way that should be enough for us to um, to follow. But I think that God has made us people who um, story is kind of ingrained into us. Um, you know, all cultures throughout history have loved, have had stories. Um, and I like how it really just illuminates things in a different way. Um, I think often we can have blind spots um, when we're looking at ourselves um, or even just looking at, I guess, our culture, things that we're used to. But when you have a story that then um, brings things to the light in a different way, um, it can really help us to see more clearly um, our shortcomings and our sins and, um, I guess, what's going on in our lives. Yeah, so are you just, are you just thinking of, like, Christian stories then or, like, stories that have a moral tale? Or, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work out in your experience of reading, have you... Are there particular things that you're thinking of that these these stories have really helped me categorise something or see the world in a different way? I think, well, Pilgrim's Progress is, is very, um, it's not exactly hidden what, what the things mean. Um, but I, you know, I love all kinds of stories, um, stories that might not be explicitly Christian. Um, I think they still just, in the characters um, and in what happens, you see yourself more clearly. Yeah, good, good stories do that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean... Um, you, you can go for something like, um, well, I was telling I was telling you on on the way here about the picture of Dorian Gray yep. that I was reading and how Oscar Wilde, this terrible man, <laughs> um, captures this idea that sin taints the soul, and it's just so graphic and sticks in your mind that um, that and that's I think what stories do for me is they give you this different ways to categorise events and um, pictures of, of what happens in reality. And good stories reflect reality. Yeah. And that's, that's I guess, the, the tricky part is how do you, how do you find stories that, um, that do reflect reality and you have to be able to – you have to know your Bible so that you can work out 
whether or not the story you're reading does reflect reality. Yes. Um, and where it doesn't and be able to discern the difference. Yeah. Um, so then, like, that's they're, they're sort of narratives. You can get narrative stories where they're um, trying to paint a picture of something that's very realistic, uh, like, trying to think of an example, but like not Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings is your, you know, your fantasy stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting too because we, we sell a bunch of fantasy so fantasy is not reflecting reality in that in the in a realist re- realistic sort of way. Not like a really bleak Russian novel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Then what's what's fantasy doing then? It's a good question. Um, I think everyone should read on fairy stories by Tolkien to <laughs> figure that out. Um, but I I think for me, um, I think just maybe by having things be not necessarily the real world. Um, I don't know, it helps me to see more clearly somehow. Um, I think, I mean, we could talk about Lord of the Rings for ages. Um, well, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think with Lord of the Rings, it just, I haven't thought deeply about this, but it helps me to see um, real things about the human condition, um, but they're just highlighted in a different way, I guess. So I see the hobbits um, who, you know, we, we don't have you know, hobbits in real life, um, like these little small people. Um, but we have, you know, we are just ordinary uh, people who might not feel like we have all that much. We're small people in a big world. Yes, don't yep. have all that much power. Um, and yet we see them um, in their very humility um, and in the fact that they're not these great kings, um, that they're able to, um, you know, Frodo's corrupted by the ring in a way but not like other people are and he's mm. the one who's able to actually get that there. Um, because of his very humility. Um, and so, I don't know, I think it just helps us to see um, see maybe what we should be and what we want to be and, and sort of taking biblical truth um, and showing how it's it's beautiful. It's not just yeah, be yeah. humble, but it's like this is what humility looks like. Um, yes, yeah. so, you, so you can read it and go, oh, I want to be like that guy. Yeah. Um, and, and we're... You know, where Frodo gets to the casting the ring into mm. the mountain and he doesn't want to do it. I don't yeah. want to be like that guy. Yeah. You know, I want to get to the edge of temptation and cast it off. Yeah. Um, I don't want to hold on to it like he does. Yeah. Um, but maybe you also look at it and go, well, actually, I want a friend alongside me like Sam mm. who can yep. who can push me to do it. Um, yep. Yeah, that's good. Need that's someone good. to push you in the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll push you to throw the ring off anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. That's good. And so, are there are there any um, Christian fantasy stuff that you've read that that you've enjoyed in particular? I mean, obviously, Lord of the Rings and Narnia um, are the classics, but I really love the Wingfeather Saga, which is okay. a lot more recent. Um, That's Andrew Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson. I haven't yes. read them. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, you should read them. Like, why? Yeah. Um, look. They're aimed. At the, so the main character is a twelve-year-old boy, so they're kind of aimed at that age group. Um, but I've found that. Like every adult who's read them has really loved them. Uh, I think they, um, they're good stories, but they also, um, he just weaves through all these sort of Christian themes um, in a way that's really beautiful about um, redemption, um, coming back after you've done something bad, um, the importance of family and home and just um, I guess the, a lot of fantasy, uh, particularly sort of kids' books or young adult, um, the parents are just not in the picture. Um, huh. 
It's like they're orphans or your parents are just absent or they have no idea that this kid is in some fantasy world. Um, but in here, I think he did this really intentionally. I think I've heard Andrew Peterson talking about this, but he wanted to show that, um, yeah, your parents are really on your side. Um, and, you know, there are times throughout the series where the kids um, are on their own for a period of time. But, um, yeah, there's always that family who is there um, helping them as much as they can and um, making that keeping that home for them. Yeah, that's that's good. So great great stories then um, resonate most with us and give us most benefit when they reflect reality and show us things about reality that we wouldn't have seen otherwise, I guess. Yeah. Um, putting, it, putting it in into tangible pictures, like you said, this is what humility looks like. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too, actually, as I think about that, that... That's what the Old Testament does, and then it's it's largely story um, from its historical story yeah. narrative. But the New Testament writers often pick up on it and say, "Yeah, like don't do that." Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, there's that is, is it in Peter? I don't know, but um, the he says, "Don't don't be like the Israelites who received salvation through the through the Red Sea and then rejected God in the wilderness." Um, you know, they they lost all the benefit, that sort of thing. Um, so they're, they're always picking up on these pictures and saying, don't do that, do that, be like that person, don't be like that person. Yeah. And we, we have the benefit then of we see the whole sweep of Israelite history. Um, and so in a way that they couldn't, I mean, maybe they should have, they were told to keep passing down the stories throughout generations, um, but they we can see the beginning and the end um, and why it all went wrong, whereas they, in the middle of it, um, wouldn't have felt that as acutely. And so we, you know, we should keep learning from them um, and seeing where they went wrong. And it's, yeah, we can look at them in the wilderness um, over a couple of pages, whereas they were living 40 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, It's a very yeah. different perspective. Yeah, and so they really, their job should have been to be telling family history. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thing as well. The, la- the last podcast that we we did with Michael Haken was about um, he, we talked about church history and and the importance of learning it, and that's probably one reason why is that there are these people who have lived the Christian life before us, you know, um, and we we know that we can learn about the ones who were recorded, but there's people in your life, I suspect, who lived before and lived out the Christian faith somehow. Um, I, I think I realised at one point that I'd never really talked to my grandparents who you went know, my on my dad's side, they're Christian, and I'd never really asked them, tell me tell me how the Christian faith sort of worked out in your life. Give me your little history, you know. Yep. I think they're really valuable stories for, for that precise reason. Yeah. yeah, so we have story, like personal family stories and people we know um, and then we have stories from the Bible and we have novels and fiction stories and stuff. And I think all of those in different but overlapping ways, um, we need to be hearing those and listening to them. Yeah. Yeah, and so The Pilgrim's Progress then is is a, a fiction tale. It's allegory, like you said, which means that pretty well everything in the book r- correlates to something specific in the mind of the author. Um for example, the slough of despond, you know, is that time of depression when you can't get over your sin and you're just 
drowning in guilt and shame. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting because John Bunyan tells you exactly what it is. Yes. Um, all the way through, and it's, so it's it's a classic tale. Has been around for ages. Um, as you read it, did you find? Did you work out why? Did Did you ever think about why it was? Why it's been around so long? Why it's so popular? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, I found it really helpful for myself. Um, but I guess thinking about why it's endured this long. Um, I mean, it's. I think it was one of the early sort of best examples of allegory. So there's probably literary reasons um, why it's endured, um, just as a sort of work of art in itself. Um, but I think as Christians, um, it's just a really true story. Like as you read it, um, it's a fictional tale, but it just rings really true to life. Um, and the fact that it's so, there's so much scripture in it, um, all throughout, he's just constantly quoting scripture. Um, or showing it lived out, um, and I think that means you know it's it's more true maybe than other stories are, um, and it's not something where yeah, it's going to stand the test of time because he's telling us scriptural truths. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think it was Spurgeon who who loved this book. He read it over a hundred times, and he used to say of John Bunyan that if you pricked him, his blood would bleed bibline. Yeah, <laughs> he was just saturated in scripture. Um, and I think like like a, a Puritan that he was, the Puritans both had, had this idea of Scripture being of such great importance, but also of a deep understanding of the human soul, the human condition. Um, possibly, I, I don't know where that would have come from. I don't know if you have any insight into that from your reading of the Puritans, but like what, why they would have been so good at understanding the human soul. I don't, I don't know why why they were so good at it. I wonder if it just seemed really important to them coming out of the Reformation. You know, they stood on the shoulders of the reformers who had who had put the word of God at the centre um, and really emphasised justification by faith um, and done that really important work. But I think in all that the reformers were facing, they couldn't do everything. <laughs> they, they, they did that um, and sort of laid the groundwork for then the Puritans to be able to say, okay, we're reforming doctrine and reforming the church we need to reform our hearts also and have our hearts constantly uh, reformed to the word of god um, so i don't know how they were so good at um i guess having insight into the human heart but i think they saw that that was a great need yeah, yeah and they certainly were which is why when i when i read the pilgrim's progress and when christians read the pilgrim's progress in general you can you, you read it and you go yep i know i know that time of your life I know what it is to be weighed down by guilt. I know what it is to, um, to be taken off the track into into a waste a by byway meadow. You know, I know what that feels like. Um, Bunyan clearly understands what I'm going through. Yes, uh, which is so which is so helpful. Like we're told in scriptures, you must be born again. But then, what does that what does that look like? How does it feel? Yeah. Um, and Bunyan just captures these these ideas. Were there, like, well, I know when I read it, certain things pop out and go, well, that's that's interesting or that resonates with me. Um, what things popped out for you? There are a lot that come to mind. Uh, one thing that stands out to me is the role of uh, friendship and having fellow pilgrims along the way. Mm. Um, he, Christian is alone for sort of the first, you know, he meets people along the way, but he's quite 
he's taking the journey alone. Um, but then later on in the story, he meets faithful and then later hopeful and he has a companion on the journey. Um, and just the way that um, as they walk along, they're, they're having really edifying spiritual conversations and they're pointing each other to the hope of the celestial city. Um, I think that's really important. I love their conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I reckon the, com- the conversations are the best part of the books. Um, things like they would, they'd just they'd just throw ideas out there, yeah. you know, and then, oh, well, I think this, you know, I, th- I think that if you do this and then if you think about it this way, it's this is the result you come up with. And then they'd go back the other way, you know, the other person would say, no, 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 I think you've got to add this in there as well. Yeah. Um, such a good example of Christian conversation, isn't it? Yeah. And there was some, there's at least one point I, I remember recently rereading it where um, it wasn't so much, it wasn't as much conflict between them, but one of them was kind of saying something and he was being a little bit smug. And then the other guy was, you know, saying something else. And there, there was a point where they weren't always having these perfect conversations. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was sin there. And then they had to sort of recognize that and correct each other. And yeah, I think that's important too. Um, and at one point, I think it's the Palace Beautiful or the House Beautiful. I think it's called different things in different editions. But um, Christian goes in there and he um, has a couple of days there where he's having um, these sorts of really edifying conversations. Um, But then he has to keep going on his journey. Um, And I think that house is meant to represent the church. Um, And then he has to go out, but they don't just sort of be like, oh, bye, have a good time. Uh, But they, before he goes, they take him to the armory and they clad him in armour and mm. send him out. Um, and I just love that image of that is what we should be doing for each other as um, fellow pilgrims, as Christians. We should be, um, yeah, I guess, cladding each other in the armour of scripture and of the hope um, that we have and sending people out. Um, yeah, not just having had a nice conversation, but um, ready for what we have to do as Christians in this world. Ready for battle, which yes. is exactly what happens. He walks down the hill and... There's yeah. a, there's Apollyon. Yeah, <laughs> he has to start using the armor that he's been given. That's that's great. Yeah, and even on the friendship point, like he's Pilgrim meets a whole bunch of different people on the road. Yeah, and he has to sort of work out: is this someone who I should walk with? Yes, is or is this someone who I shouldn't walk with? Um, and make make those decisions as he goes. He doesn't always get it right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Who who was it that he goes with? He goes with the flatterer at one point. The one who's, um, I think he's, I don't know if he's, in one edition it was called The Flatterer, um, but he's kind of building them up and right. um, making them feel good about themselves and um, they go along and then they get caught in that net. Ah, that's right. Yeah. And the, the angels have to come and free yes. them, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very dangerous and and so true. Like yeah. you walk around there's different people who you could you decide to hang out with Um. And I think at one point even, I, th- I think it's with Faithful, um, you, you have these three people. Mm. There's Ignorance maybe with them. Yes. And Christian and Faithful have a chat with Ignorance for a little while and then they, they go off by themselves and they sort of discuss, mm-hmm. well, do you, th- do you think he's right? Is he, where is he wrong? How, we, how can we even help him to mm-hmm. see where he's wrong? Um, we probably shouldn't spend heaps of time with this guy because he's going to lead us astray, you know. It's really interesting that sort of, that dynamic that Bunyan picks up on as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now the the book has been around for a long time, and so there are a lot of different editions. Um, as and I know you've looked through them because I asked you to. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So what would you say in terms of how to approach, if someone hasn't read The Pilgrim's Progress before or there might be different ways to, different people you want to read it to, you want to read it by yourself, you might read it to your kids, how would you approach the different variety of editions that there are? Yeah, well, I, th- I think you can't really go wrong with any of them. Um, in a way, just if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, pick it up, <laughs> read it. Um, but, yeah, there are different things to take into account. So, yeah, as you said, you might, you know, if you're going to read it for yourself, you might pick a different edition to um, reading with your kids. There are a lot of great kids' editions. Um, and I think, though, if you're going to read for yourself, um, some editions have both parts. So there's actually two parts of Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. Um so you can choose whether to get one that's just got one, that's got both parts. Um, some of them are a bit easier to read. They might be a little more modernised, um, the English. So um, maybe if you're really new to older kind of books, um, you might find it a bit of an easier entry point to pick a modernised one. Um, or if you're maybe giving it to a teenager, um, it would be great if they would read the original, but they might um, you know, get Pilgrim's Progress to them somehow, I think is is what I'd recommend. So whatever people are going to read, um, give them that. And it's one of those books that I think if you're just going to read once, you want to read non-abridged, the full thing. Um, but I also think... <laughs> in the original language? <clears throat> in the original, <laughs> yeah. Original language of English. Wow, yes. it's, yeah. it's 17th century. Yes. Um, 1700s English. But I think good luck reading it once. Um, I think most people... Um, I hope who read it are just going to find it so rich that they're going to want to read it again and again. So I think having lots of different editions um, is a real blessing that you can keep. I know J.I. Packer read it every year, um, I think for about 50 years. Um, And so I find it helpful to have different editions to keep coming back to. Um, But um, we can talk about some of the specifics. Well, so there's there's original English, which which is has words like wither in it yes with a with a here you come <laughs> yeah things like that um and then you've got modernized yep. but not abridged yes and then you've got there's we were when we were looking through this there's not a whole lot of uh, just abridged yeah editions i think there's that i don't know who did it the abridged ones usually take out all the talking that this you one. like gary schmidt the edmunds one that's that's abridged yeah i think a little but bit. that one's also more of a is a poetic don't think so. Not this one. No. Okay, that one's just abridged. Yeah. Yes, they some do take out the talking, mm. and I don't like it when they do. That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think for a sort of just classic edition um, that's not really modernized, um, Banner of Truth. Um, if you're watching on video, you can see it here. Um, but uh, it's Banner of Truth. It's a hardcover. Um, it's parts one and two. This is probably sort of the. So part Original. one, two, part one is Christian's journey to yeah. the celestial, and yeah. the second one is his wife Christian Christiana. Yep. Or Christina Christiana. Yep. <laughs> Christian yeah. with an A on the end. Yeah. Her journey, um, which is slightly different and less less red. Yes, but yeah, I think that banner one would be the sort of yeah. closest to the original. We've got here. There you go. And then you've got kids, kid, mm-hmm. kidified versions. So the Helen Taylor one's a classic that's been redone in the in an illustrated, beautiful edition. illustrated one. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Where she pitches Christian not as not as an adult but as a kid. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, the Crossway one, um, I think, is worth talking about as well. Um, that one is a little more modernized, um, but it's. 
but it's a, a beautiful hardback, um, really nice illustrations. Um, there's some good commentary in it, um, sort of puts you to footnotes that have uh, end notes that have um, help you understand a little bit deeper. Um, so I read this one recently and I really like that one as well. All right, that's uh, that's enough on all the additions, I think. Uh, what's, let's finish on, on something else that's interesting about it. Was there anything else that you found? Yeah, I Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, I think that's um, always a really uh, memorable and important um, part of the book. Um, so it's where Christian and Faithful, um, it's towards the end of the book, um, not quite at the end, but towards the latter half, and they're getting closer to the celestial city. Um, and then they enter this town that was sort of put there to try and distract the pilgrims. Um, and you have to go through it, don't you? <laughs> yes, yeah. It, you have to go through there to get to the Celestial City and it's a town where there's anything that you could want um, from it's the world. Entertainment. Yeah, All entertainment, um, pleasures, riches, like anything that you could dream up that you want um, or want to experience, like you can find it in Vanity Fair. Um, and it's just this town where everyone is just completely engrossed in, in all of these entertainments. So it's, it's sort of pulling on Ecclesiastes language, mm. right? Van, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yep, yep. Uh, this whole world is full of emptiness and here it, il- here it all is. Here's all the emptiness on yes. display <laughs> yep. in all its glory. Yeah, yep. and it's not just they're just doing their own thing, but as pilgrims come through, they're trying to pu- pull yep. the pilgrims yep. in. Um, yeah, and but Christian and faithful um, sort of like block their ears and don't look um, and they're just trying to get through. Um, and the people of Vanity Fair don't like that. <laughs> um, and do we spoil it? Yeah, go for Yeah, it. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, they had met Evangelist before they go in and he tells them that um, at least one of them will seal their testimony with blood there. Mm. So they go through and they're not wanting anything to do with any of these pleasures and um, the people of the town get really angry and, and put them on trial and end up killing faithful. Um, and one part I really like is... is Christian and faithful are talking before this happens um, when they're, I think they're just in prison and they say like, whichever one of us gets killed has the, in a way, has is the better easy, off. Is the yeah. faster route to the celestial <laughs> yeah, city. Straight yeah, straight speedway to the celestial city um, as opposed to the other one who has to keep going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they kill faithful. Um, Christian manages to get away. Um, but he, faithful, um, him, their testimony as they go throughout um, makes an impact on the town. So some people, you know, become furious and kill them, mm. um, whereas other people see that what they've been enjoying this whole time is just vanity, and they see something better. And one of the one of them leaves and ends up traveling the rest of the way with. It's hopeful. Right? Hopeful. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he he crosses the final river with Christian at the yes. end. Yeah. 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 That's great. So what what resonated with you then on about Vanity Fair? I think just how much it shows the vanity of a lot of the things of the world we see um, that, you know, it's not like anything in this world is automatically evil and we can't enjoy anything, but just the way that um, some things can be a real distraction from going forward. Um, And I think it also shows um, we often think, oh, we need to be as much in the culture as possible in order to, um, you know, be able to tell people about Jesus. And there's some value in that, um, in having those ways to connect with people. But here it's actually them standing up and not wanting any part of that. That is what actually brings someone else um, to 
head towards the celestial city. So I think it's yeah helpful in moderating ourselves um, in thinking about these pleasures that just a distraction and meaningless. Um, yeah, that that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the the Puritans, when you read them, and John, and John Bunyan, like you say, the Pilgrim as he's walk, Christian as he's walking along, has is just this single minded sort of focus yeah. on the celestial city. Yeah. Um, and yet God has made us in this world. Yeah. For this world, with with things to enjoy in this world, yeah. um, have you read Joe Rigney's work on on this at all? Strangely I've, bright. I've read things strange, of Earth? Yeah, I've read Strangely Bright. Okay, yes, yeah, so I haven't read it. It's on my yeah. list. Um, my wife read it and loved it. But what? How how does that interaction work? Did was Bunyan? Do you reckon the Pur- the Puritans had it right, or was was it yeah. too weighted on on eternal matters and detracted from? from our, uh, the rightful pleasures in this in this life? It's a good question. I don't know if they... Some people would definitely say they were far too separate and focused on heavenly things, but I think there's a difference there with the people in Vanity Fair are just enjoying these good things as an end in themselves and they're tr- that's what they're aiming for, whereas I think there's a real difference with the way that God gives us so many good things in this earth to enjoy him through. Like The people in Vanity Fair are not enjoying mm. God through so those worship, things. they're worshipping the created th- things rather than the creator, yes. rather than thanking the creator. When Romans says the problem is, is a worship problem, but it's also a gratitude problem. Yep. Um, they, didn't give, they didn't worship him and give thanks. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. And so you're saying that the way we need to view it is we need to see the, the good things of earth as pointing us to God. Mm as something to be thankful for to God. Yeah, and, and along the way, you know, obviously Pilgrim's Progress, as helpful as it is, is not going to cover every aspect of yeah, life. Yeah. Um, but there are, I think there are points along the way where he gets to enjoy, you know, he enjoys fellowship and mm. he goes and stays at these, you know, at Palace Beautiful and at the House of Interpreter and, you know, he gets fed and um, there's a, he gets There's to a rest, rest point yes. on the Hill oh, of Difficulty. I, I really like that part as well. Um, but, yeah, so it's not like his whole life is just, oh, this must be as painful as possible. Um, but he's always doing this as a way to keep um, heading on towards the celestial city. Yeah, that's good. Um, you like the Hill of Difficulty and the Rest Point? Yes. Like, I like it too. Yeah, what, what do you like about it? <laughs> Why does that part stand out to you? Well, do you know, I, I, uh, I really like it because the, um, the, that's the one place that I could find in reading the Pilgrim's Progress, where John Bunyan doesn't tell you explicitly what something is, and it's the scroll. Yeah, he never tells you throughout the whole book what the scroll is. He gets given the scroll when when he sees the cross, his burden falls off, and the angels come and they present him with a seal on his forehead and new robes, um, and something else and a scroll. And you never find out what the scroll is, but the scroll is very important because when he's climbing the hill of difficulty, he comes to the arbor of rest, um, he sits down and refreshes himself and then sinfully falls asleep. Yeah. And, t- and instead, of, instead of seeing rest as something to enjoy in order to press on, yeah. he sees it as an end in itself you know, yes. um, and, and indulges in it, which I think is a really interesting distinction just to begin with. Like yes, that, that's what our I view of, Our view of rest versus... Uh, leisure versus relaxation versus um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Just like doing nothing. 
is a word for it, but I can't remember. <laughs> um, we think rest is doing nothing. Yes. But I don't think that's a biblical view of rest. What I, I think we've talked about this before, but um, if he doesn't tell us what the scroll is, what, what's your theory? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you need to do the work and find out. But um, <laughs> a lot of people say that it's temporal assurance. That's generally what people run to. I think yep. they're wrong in a way. Uh, I because the scroll is Bunyan's very clear that the scroll is something that is read. Yes, it's something you can lose. Um, he loses it and then he doesn't have it to read, and then he goes back to find it, and then he reads it again, and then he's refreshed by it. It's something that comforts him. It's something that refreshes him, um, and it's actually something. This is the other reason it's vital. When he comes to the gate of cel- of the celestial city, he has to hand in the scroll. That's the only thing he has to hand in. They don't ask his name. They don't ask his conversion story. They don't ask anything about him. They don't ask how holy he is. They don't look at his robes. Yeah. They just ask for the scroll. And if, if it was just assurance, then someone could just have a false sense of assurance, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so it's something tangible and it's external to himself. It's not it, the, the seal of the spirit, I think, is more subjective yeah. and more sort of internal. No one ever sees this, the seal that's put on his forehead. That's just there sort of for him. Um, but the scroll people can see and he needs to show it. Yeah. And so I, I, the way I read it is that it's the promises of God applied to the Christian. Yeah. So it's, because he has the Bible as well. It's not just the Bible. Uh, he has the Bible in the city of, of destruction. Yes. He's reading it and being convicted of his sin. Um. But when you become a Christian, when you trust in Christ, you suddenly read the Bible with new eyes. You read the promises of God. Um, you know, you read, uh, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. And you say, that's, that's calling me. Yes. You know, you read, um, confess your sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you say, that's for me. Mm-hmm. And it's that connection between the promises of God applied to the Christian that I think the scroll represents. Yeah. You can you can read the promises of God when you believe in Christ as mm. yours. Yeah. And when you read them that way, it does refresh you, it comforts you, it gives you life. It, and it's actually the only thing that you can hand in when you come to heaven. Yeah. You um when you stand before God and he says, "Why should I let you in?" Your only response should be, well, you said I could come. Yeah, yeah. That's it, you know. Yeah. And so when he when he leaves it behind on the hill of difficulty is him... Losing sight yeah, of, not, of those promises. Not, not looking not, where he should be looking. Correct, yeah. correct. Not, um, not grabbing onto those promises and living by them. Yeah. That's what it is, I think. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, can often go hand in hand with this false idea of rest where we, you know, things are hard and so we just want to, like, we take our eyes off... God and his promises and instead we just look to something that's going to make us make us like, feel better for a while. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I hadn't made that connection. That's very helpful. Yeah. And really um that you could I mean I haven't thought about this either but you could connect that to the uh, the concept of sabbath and sunday. Um you know I think that that causes us some difficulty when people think about well is is sunday the sabbath is it a day of rest? Um, 
And if we have in our minds the concept of rest as doing nothing, <laughs> yeah. then it's not. You know, I have to go to church and that takes effort and energy. But if you see rest as an opportunity to um, cease from your daily labours and to look to Christ and be refreshed in the promises that he makes to you, well then Sunday is a day of rest. Yes. Um, and actually, I, in my experience at least, I've found that that spiritual rest has a physical effect. Um, I, I generally come out of a worship service where I hear the promises of God. You know, and that, that Paul, Paul says preaching is Christ speaking to you. And so you go to church and you hear the gospel spoken to you by Christ if the, if the minister is being faithful to the word. And you hear the promises of Christ sung to you by fellow believers. Yep. And you uh, pray together with one voice to this God who's made these promises. And you hear the scriptures read where God promises blessing on his people. Um, and that that is you reading the scroll, resting in the arbor on the hill of difficulty. Yeah. Um, and then your job is to get up and go again. Yes. Yeah, I, I find that really helpful about um, Pilgrim's Progress and, and stories more generally, I guess, is they're helping you to see the different parts more clearly because obviously the Pilgrim's journey, it's not like that happens in that linear way. Um, as we experience it, like we're experiencing the hill of difficulty at the same time as yeah, how it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but those different elements help you to sort of focus in and see part of see it. See what's more happening. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're very true. Very right. Very right. They just narrow in and, and display yeah. different aspects of life Yeah. very clearly. Oh, and there's much more we could talk about, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Uh, but we'll leave that for next time. And so thanks for joining us uh, on the Reformers Bookcast. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next time.